PDPW On Demand. Here's Bill Baker. Hello, thank you for joining us and supporting the PDPW Weekly Podcast. How do you keep going when life just doesn't seem fair? As we heard in part one, Shelley O'Leary shared some of her personal challenges and struggles that life has dealt her. And while realizing life isn't fair, she's still able to focus on the many blessings that have come her way. As this week, we unwrap the gifts of unfair. Hello again, friends. So let's get to some of these gifts. What are the gifts of unfair? Well, there's more than one. I want to focus on just two of them. Let's first talk about the gift of compassion. And then we'll move on and talk about the gift I call the strength of character. Compassion. I want to tell you a little bit about Louis Zamperini. True story. Went through his elementary and middle school years as a rebel and a thug. Born in New York, and his parents were straight from Italy, and they spoke not a word of English. And so neither did Louis. They moved to California when Louis was two, but he was bullied a lot. And uh, he wasn't showing any signs of being less combative in high school. He basically was a bully so that he wouldn't be bullied himself. He was a scrawny little guy, too, on top of it. His brother Pete saw that, oh my goodness, this guy is going to end up in prison or worse if he doesn't shape up his attitude. So his Pete, being an all-star track competitor and record breaker, Pete said, hey, Louie, why don't you join the track team? Well, it didn't take long to figure out that Louie was a natural. In the last three years of his high school career, he went undefeated in every single race that he ran, and he soon started beating his brother's records. He became the youngest distance runner ever to make the Olympic team. At the 1936 Olympics, he finished eighth in the 5,000-meter distance event. Louis wasn't first, and that was a problem in Louis's mind, so he set his mind on achieving the gold at the 1940 Olympics. But if you know anything about history, it was a bad year, that 1940 year, to host something fun like the Olympics. And indeed, it was called off after the start of World War II. So rather than competing at the Olympics, Louis decided, well, I'm going to enlist in the Army. So he actually enlisted in the Air Corps Division. That was 1941. So he learned how to fly a plane, and he was pretty good at it. Unfortunately, planes back in those early days were awful. Most of the planes that flew back then were unreliable. They had more problems than they had successes. Well, anyway, that's where Louis ended up. So in May of 43, by the time he had been trained to fly a couple different types of fighter planes, he was on a search and rescue mission with 10 other men. And the bomber plane had mechanical difficulties. It crashed into the ocean south of the island of Oahu in the Hawaii Islands. Louis and two others survived, but the other eight were killed upon impact. So here we have Louis and two other guys surviving on little food and absolutely no water, which is so ironic to me. All this water around you and nothing that you can drink. Well, they lived for a long time on captured rainwater, small fish that they would capture and eat raw, and any birds who made the poor decision to land on their raft. They endured many a hot, sunny day 
shark attacks, and uh, they nearly capsized at least once during a storm. After 33 days at sea, living in those conditions, one of the crewmates ended up dying. They spent another two weeks on this raft, adrift at sea, languishing and near death. And then they had the incredibly poor fortune to be captured by the Japanese Navy. They were near the Marshall Islands. They had drifted an astounding 2,000 miles from where they originally crashed. It's a bad thing to be a prisoner of war in any war, but as history goes, it's a really bad thing to have been a prisoner of war in World War II in the hands of the Japanese. They were notoriously awful to their captives. And the captors took particular pleasure in tormenting Louis, especially once they learned he had been an Olympic runner. Louis endured daily torment, miserable living conditions, starvation, bouts of dysentery, incredibly inhumane treatment, mocking, ridicule. It was all par for the course. Even after the war, Louis suffered post-traumatic stress, a troubled marriage, anger, fits of rage, addiction to alcohol, and unrelenting nightmares. In 1949, pretty fed up with their awful marriage, but still determined to make it work, his wife asked Louis to please, please, please come along with me. Some of my friends and I are going to a Billy Graham crusade. He reluctantly agreed. The preaching that night flipped a switch in Louis. Soon, against all odds, Louis had decided that there was probably something to this Christian lifestyle, and he was eager to learn more about it. As it happened, Reverend Graham saw something in Louis and helped him launch a career as a Christian evangelist, of all things, from rebel and thug to Christian evangelist. Well, one of Louis's recurring themes as he preached, not surprisingly, was on the theme of forgiveness. He visited many of the guards, the prison guards, the captors from his POW days to explain to them, guess what, guys, you were awful, but I've forgiven you. Once Louis started forgiving those who had treated him so poorly, his nightmares stopped. The suffering of his post-traumatic stress started alleviating. Louis went on nationwide speaking tours, and he even started a wilderness camp for troubled youth. He certainly could speak into their lives. Without a doubt, God was at work here in Louis' life. He was reshaping a life that had been broken by torment, abuse, and alcohol, and recreating a life filled with hope, teaching about the healing of forgiveness and the power of compassion. I want to turn a corner and talk about strength of character. I said it at the beginning, life isn't fair. Going through tough times is like being refined by the fire. Uh, as it happens, steel, steel is one of the planet's strongest metals. And yet, unless it can be formed into useful shapes, it can't be used, and it's got to go through the fire for it to melt. You're going to have to crank the heat 
up to 2,500 degrees Fahrenheit to melt it. But in the end, it's worth it. If you think about the structures in our world today, most of the large modern structures, stadiums, skyscrapers, bridges, airports, they're all supported by a steel skeleton, but there's no strength or even shaping where there isn't first some fire. I have a couple of other stories I want to share. Back to 1980, Fair Oaks, California, 13-year-old softball star Carrie Leitner, she and a friend were walking to church. Now, there was a carnival going on, and they wanted to go there together. Unfortunately for them, at the same time, a four-time DUI, driving while under the influence, offender, he had been released from jail. Carrie and her friend were walking down the street to a church carnival while this guy is barreling down the road, drunk. He hit Carrie from behind, throwing her 125 feet in the air out of her shoes, and then he fled the scene. He was later arrested and charged with her death. But in that particular moment, Carrie became the first face that represented one of the many drunk driving victims. It was Carrie's mother. Carrie's mother, Candy, formed Mothers Against Drunk Driving. You might know it as MAD, to be a light to the many families who previously had absolutely no voice, no recourse, as they coped with their grief. Strength of character compels a mother in her grief and her devastation to ensure that other families don't have to go through the same thing. Strength of character. January 1996, nine-year-old Amber Hagerman, she's riding her bike with her five-year-old brother to a grocery store in Arlington, Texas, just two blocks from home. Amber would never return. Her brother, little five-year-old Ricky, ran home to tell their parents that somebody grabbed Amber off her bike. Her tragic abduction, her kidnapping, and her death forged the family and the community together to become fierce child protection advocates. Amber's disappearance, of course, sparked immediate interest in, in that area. It was the Dallas-Fort Worth communities in Texas, but that fire was lit all across the country. The Amber Alert broadcasting system is not just the name of a system that honors nine-year-old Amber. It also stands for America's Missing Broadcast Emergency Response. Even in the days before widespread cell phone use, these Amber Alerts were immediately broadcast over radio and TV stations, and they did an incredible job of alerting the public to the fact that, hey, someone's gone missing, and all of a sudden, you've got hundreds of thousands of eyes watching for any suspicious activity. I can't imagine the strength of character that it took for Amber's family to push through their grief and devastation think about it, probably no shortage of bureaucracy and red tape to create the types of systems 
that will help prevent these nightmares from happening to other families. The Department of Justice estimates that Amber Alerts have returned more than 900 children to their families just in the past two decades. Hard stuff. Not fair at all. Totally unfair. And yet, good things have come from it. Let's reflect. If you don't consider yourself to have strength of character, which could also be described as having integrity, being upright, having earned the respect of others, if you're hearing those words and thinking, oh boy, I don't know if I fit that bill, if you're finding some shortcomings, I encourage you, start spending more time with people you look up to. Who do you admire? I'm not talking about musicians and actors or athletes. There are some who would fit that bill. I'm talking about the people who have coached you, guided you, encouraged you, the people in your life, the people you could pick up a phone and talk to, the people you could send a a message to and say, hey, you know what? Can we just have a cup of coffee together? I want to pick your brain about a few things. Studies show we end up being like the three or four people we spend the most time with. Are you spending time with people who gossip, who complain, who are constantly pointing fingers at how this political party or that political party is wrong or broken or messed up? Are you spending time with people like that? Do you feel better after you've spent time with people like that? Or do you start to see how your attitude gets shaped after their attitudes? The people we spend time with is a critical choice we make. Make sure you're being intentional about who you're spending time with. And maybe there isn't somebody you can think of right off the top of your head. Well, you have access to self-improvement books, podcasts. There are books on servant leadership. Or join a service organization where servant-minded people gather to do good things for others. This doesn't have to cost a lot of money or any at all, but it does take some initiative on your part if you want to develop strength of character. Maybe you don't feel very compassionate. In fact, maybe that's an area where you struggle Ask yourself a question. Are there particular circumstances in which you're more inclined to feel disgusted or irritated with other people? So let me just give you an example. If I'm stuck behind a slow driver on a road that's curvy, and I know I am not getting past this car in a very long time, I might be inclined to be irritated, especially if I'm already late. I'm way more apt to be compassionate if I know that the person in the car ahead of me is driving for the first time after a tired driver smashed into her precious vehicle, killing her husband, paralyzing her young daughter. We don't know what other people are living with or dealing with. The next time you find yourself getting all frustrated with somebody who isn't bending over backwards to serve you, consider 
they may have just gotten a call that nobody wants to get. Put yourself in the place of someone who is just doing their best to get through the day. You know what, guys? We do not get to choose what happens to us, but we do get to choose whether our circumstances will allow us to be bitter or to be better. I'm telling you, friends, better is the better choice every time. Our thanks to Shelley O'Leary for today's message. Shelley, the communications and outreach specialist with the Professional Dairy Producers, For archive podcasts and plenty more, head to pdpw.org. Have a safe week and thank you again for supporting the PDPW Weekly Podcast.